Cool, okay, so why I think you're here is, uh, some of you are current church members, some of you are prospective church members who are thinking about being church members, and the thing about membership is that it's all about relationship, that's what it's about, and we observe by looking at what other churches do to welcome people into membership, is that generally speaking, you rock up at a course, you learn some stuff and pack it in your brain, you sign something to say you've understood what you were doing, you, and then you get introduced as a member. Okay. I thought, you know what, well, that's not bad, but it seems that membership, if membership is relationship and coming together in Christ and growing together in Christ in a particular location, then we need to at least imbibe that or, or flesh that out a little bit in the way that we help people think about whether membership is right for them. So in other words, uh, this is sort of a taste and a setup for this is what it looks like to be part, a member of our church family here. Okay? So we've got these six sessions over uh, six months, one a month, and in between you guys are going to be meeting together. If you're a member uh, with somebody who's a prospective member, some of you guys are already set up in pairs already, some of you have yet to work it out, uh, some of you aren't sure whether you are coming today. Uh, some people who wanted to be here have either got work shifts or have got a 40th birthday, how inconsiderate, uh, or that kind of thing. So what we'll do is, at the end of things, some of you will know who you're meeting up with already, uh, but some of you won't, and those who don't, uh, what we'll do is we'll just um, hang around for just two minutes at the end and make sure that all gets organised and sorted out. Okay? Uh, but you've got yourselves around tables at the moment because there's going to be little chunks and then there'll be time for you to talk about stuff around your tables as well. But the whole thrust of today's one is, well, the title's there at the top, isn't it? Blood is thicker than water. Membership is a formal expression of what Christ has made us. And that's what I'd like, hopefully, the going away from today to look like. Why we even bother with church membership? Because not all... Um, churches that love the Lord Jesus do have some sort of formal membership. So I'm hoping that by the end of it, I'll be persuading you that's the right thing, uh, and I'll be not just persuading you it's the right thing, I'll be getting you a little bit excited about the prospect of that as well. Okay? So let's go straight in with a bit of uh, soul-satisfying, greatly encouraging theology. Uh, if you, oh, who needs pens? Does anybody need pens? We need some pens. Joe, please could you dash to... Have you got enough to dash, uh, spread out? Brilliant. Lovely. Kaylee's going to dish out some pens. She's like Batman with a utility belt, isn't she? She's like a green Batman. So this is what happens when you start university. You can like get loads of pens. I am Right, okay people, if you take seats. For the sake of the tape recording, Kaylee is giving out lots of pens. There you go. Brilliant, thank you Kaylee. So, where does all this start? But the essence of why we're going with this starts with the person of God, the character of God. We're joined by a bigger story of this world, this planet being made, and us being made and created uh, in the image of God. Uh, at the heart of the universe is a God who dwells in Trinity, and we find the doctrine of the Trinity in the scriptures as, as one of interdependent, joyful relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who 
Well, how do you describe God? You describe him as love. That's not a, a, a concept, that's, a, that's an action. Love. So at the heart of the universe is a God who is very, 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 very excited about relationship. Um, so he dwells in Trinity in an interdependent community of joy. That's, that's great, doesn't it? Everybody in the Trinity delighting in all the others. There's no one-upmanship, there's no trying to get an angle over somebody else, there's no, no trying to uh, climb on somebody else's shoulders or put somebody else down. The Trinity dwells as a community of joy. And so it shouldn't surprise us that if that is what God is like, something of what he is doing will be reflecting what he is like. So what is he doing in the creation of the world? In the creation of the world, the Lord is making people who share in that joy. You can go to John chapter 17 for that if you want to at some point later. He's making a community of people who are knowers of God, who dwell with God and find their joy in that relationship. So the story arc of the Bible is a couple of people who are knowers of God at the beginning in a garden. And by the end of the Bible, we've got a vast multitude, so vast you can't count a number, who are all knowers of God and they're not in a garden, but they're in a city. People everywhere. Vast array of interconnected uh, relationships. And that people that God is making who are knowers of God, what's the name for it? What's the Bible name for it? Church. Church. So when you think church, don't you dare think, don't you dare think institution or organised meeting. When the Lord thinks church, he thinks that gathering of people who are precious in his sight, who are blood poured through Jesus, who he has planned from eternity past to eternity future, to make into a cohesive group who will enjoy that relationship of dependence and joy in him. Do you see that? The church is the apple of the Lord's eye. And you say, hold on, where do we fit in? Oh, sorry, before I press on. Uh, he loves them. He loves his church. It's the thing that he thinks about. He loves his church. I suppose in some sense so should we. So if that is what God is like, and if that is what God is doing, the question then is, how is he doing it? Because naturally, humankind has fallen and come away from who the Lord is. So we need to start looking at some Bible texts. So, would somebody please turn up Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 42. I undenied as to whether or not to put all these texts into here, uh, because if you're anything like me, you're inherently lazy and want somebody else to flick pages for you, but I thought, you know what? We can imbibe our membership by quickly flicking and encouraging one another and reading to one another. So Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 40. Uh, Matty, I can see you've got it. Would you mind reading it nice and loudly, please? So we see what's happened on the declaration, that first great big preach that the Apostle Peter did 
uh, in the middle of Jerusalem. There was a small band, probably of 120 or a few more there. They were, if you like, the proto-church in the New Testament. The gospel goes out. People hear that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, that he has acted to save and to call people to repentance and faith and come to him. That is what has happened to you if you're a Christian. And then in that moment, what happens is that the people come, and there's that phrase there at the end of verse 42. Can you see it at verse 41 even? Those who accepted his message were baptised, and they filled out a form to apply for church membership. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that, does it? They had an interview to see whether they were appropriate to be part of the church. Is that what it says? Okay. It doesn't say that there, does it? What it actually says is, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So what you've actually got happening here is, whether you like it or not, when you trust Jesus, you are brought into that big uh, universal church, that, that gathering of God's people for all of eternity around Christ. That's what happens. It is something that is done to you. And back then, they only had one, didn't they? And it was in Jerusalem. The first one there. And so that now they are 3,120. And as we read through the book of Acts, and more get added, and more get added, and more get added. The idea that you can be, part, that can be a Christian and not part of who God sees as the church is utterly unthinkable in the New Testament. Something, it's because something is part of what has happened to you when you become a Christian. Does that make sense? It's not rocket science, is it? You trust Jesus and you are now included in him, in his people. Okay? Uh, let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 18. Uh, somebody pull that up for us, will you? Ephesians, it'd be helpful as many of you as possible flick to it. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. Could somebody read that for us, please? called Israel, who were under the law and at one particular time, those who were in some sense near, almost think like church kids. Okay? And then he calls, he, he, Christ comes into the world, acts to save, and through the cross, it's not just a call to respond to the church kids, but also to the people who are far off as well. 
to the Gentile nations, the people who've never heard, never been to church, never done anything like that, uh, some who've been running their lives religiously, some who've been running their lives irreligiously. And what he does to show the splendor of his power is the Lord comes and says, I'm going to make you into one. These things that have previously defined who you were and how you see yourself have now been superseded by what I've done for you in Christ. That is the big thing. And so now you have more in common, more in unity with the most unlikely of person than you do with your, the people who you used to be connected with. Do you see that? And the Lord is demonstrating his power here. He's showing off that he is the one who can create, uh, uh, crack the relational nuts. He is the relational God. He is God in Trinity. And the way he does that is by powerfully taking people who are totally different and chucking them together into one place. By the two, sorry, uh, who has made the two one. So there is a unity that every believer has with every other believer that supersedes any other differences. Whatever your accent, whatever you're from, whatever your financial background is, um, whatever your life experience is, what you've suffered, what you've not suffered. The big thing is that he is bringing together a people who know him and love him. And that's a demonstration of his power. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Somebody turn at that one for us, please. Okay, somebody read that for us, if you would, please. What is it that God is doing in his church? What is he doing? What's he doing there? Being built up. Thank you. He's being built up. He's building a household of faith. A living spiritual building. And what is it that is the cornerstone? What is it the thing that has preeminence? What is the thing that defines why these people have come together? Okay, it's not rocket science here. You see, if you go and join the bowling club, and you get very committed, and you become a member there, what is it that joins you to that club? Pardon not having a life. What is it that joins you to that club? Common interest in chucking a ball. You see, what joins us together as a church is not a common interest in Jesus, it's a radical life-changing impact of Jesus that now he is not just the cornerstone of our life, but the cornerstone of the way we do church and everything. So we could be a church that could gather around all kinds of things. Some churches gather around the type of music they like. That's not a bad thing, but if that becomes the main thing, then their cornerstone is music. Some churches gather around social justice issues. And social justice issues are very important and need to be addressed, and the church has got a place to do it. But if that is the cornerstone, then you cease to be a Christian church. Some churches gather around the way in which you do spiritual gifts and all that kind of thing. And those aren't bad. In fact, that's all in, over the Bible. But that is not the cornerstone. The cornerstone of church is 
Jesus! Yes, I almost got a pencil scuffle response there. Cool, okay? He is the foundation and he is the thing that unites. Therefore, whatever your problems, whatever your moans, whatever your gripes, whatever your preferences, they sit under the fact that Christ, Christ is at the centre. Does that make sense? And that is what true church always has been and always will be. Click over the page. Have a look at this next one. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. (laughs) Somebody read that for us, if you would, please. Brilliant. Speaking to a bunch of believers who were tempted to retreat into old Judaistic um, traditions because it felt more real to them. The author of the book of Hebrews here is saying, listen, have you any idea how real what has happened to you is? And you notice all the way through there, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have. He's saying you have become part of this community that isn't just for the days of this life alone, but it's for eternity. You've come to a spiritual reality in Christ. So what is the church? If you want to write down a technical definition of the church, the church is the gathering of all of Christ's people around him for all of eternity. We're part of something big here. Speak will be long gone when the church is riding high on a wave. The retail park will not have the last word. Okay? We are part of something massive. A gathering of people around Christ for all eternity. That's what the church is. Can I get an amen? New. Okay, cool. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 5. Somebody else who hasn't read, if you don't mind, somebody please read nice and loud for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed by her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, be their God. You will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Brilliant. Now here we see, well, we see a city wearing a wedding dress. Don't know quite what all that's about. But what you've got is people who the Lord loves so much that the only way to describe how he wants to attach himself to them is by marriage. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will make everything new. I will tenderly care for them. I will wipe every tear away from their eye. What we have at the end of the Bible is that story arc of God has made us for joyful enjoyment, sorry, joyful um, relationship with him. We will be dwellers with God. 
and he loves us. That's the direction of travel for his church. The Lord loves his church. Do we? Do we? I love this little quote. And just before I give you time to just ask yourself a few questions around the table, let's just read this quote. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. A nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth. That was said by another fat Baptist pastor uh, with a bigger beard than me. But the Lord loves his church. He loves his church. He really does. And so here you go. You've got five minutes just around your tables with the people near to you. Try and answer these two questions. Number one, in what ways has your understanding of church been lifted by what we've just seen? And second of all, what ideas or experiences do you have that shrink your view and experience of church to something less than it's supposed to be? Does that make sense? If it doesn't, ask the person next to you and they'll help you uh, think about how to get it. Uh, Alex, do you want to come and jump in on one of these tables? That'd be great. Okay, five minutes I'll give you. I'm going to pause the tape. So, let's have a look at the next bit then. Okay, so what we've just talked about is belonging to the church with a big C, the church universal, that big body of believers, which started small in Jerusalem where people were added to their number. Do you remember that? Then what happened was that physically that became impossible. Because churches started springing up all over the Mediterranean. Little local churches. To the point where the Apostle Paul was writing letters to individual churches. So he would say to the elders and the deacons and the servants at such and such. So the mindset of the New Testament is one of local expressions of that church universal. Do you see that? And the idea that you would be part of that big church and not be part of a little one that is an expression of that just isn't found in the New Testament. You won't find that anywhere. So I'll put a little thing there. Uh, Hold on. As a believer, you are a church member, big capital church member, so it is unthinkable that you wouldn't be a local church member. But then it's worth noting, isn't it, that there is not a Bible verse commanding church membership. And I can't take you to one. I wish I could. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? It's like, Steve, why do I have to be a member of the church? Well, what happens when you become a member of a church is you make a public and formal confession that this is your local church, which you feel the Lord has called you to be a part of and be connected in. And just like we make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ and enter into church universal by that, it seems that there has to be some sort of formal Uh, Commitment, whether it's written or whether it's in the head, it's some sort of relational communication that this is the place where I'm going to sit under. This is the place, the local church, that I'm going to be part of that reflects the big church. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you loads of implications, or well, yeah, strands of evidence that strongly imply formal local church membership in the New Testament. And then at the end, we're going to see whether we can do, it, do those things any other way than having church membership. Do you get it? That makes sense. So let's have a look at them very quick now. Oh, before we go any further, I need to give our Bible verses so we're a bit quicker. Uh, uh, Kaylee, you're going to do 1 Timothy 3.15. Uh, Nathan, could you do Ephesians 2? 
19 to 22. So find these sections now, and then we'll get them read, and we'll be able to move quicker. Tommy, could you do 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 27? Uh, Alice, could you do Galatians 6, 10? Uh, Amelia, could you do Hebrews 13, 17? Uh, Joe, could you do 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13? Uh, Rach, could you do 1 Timothy 5, 17? Uh, Matty and Mark have both read loads. Emma, could you do Matthew... Hold on. Just, yeah. Could you, Emma, please do 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13? And direct, could you do 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3? Is that right? Just say, so if you all find those now, and then when it's time, we can all go nice and quick. All right? Okie dokie. We're nearly there? Right. So, the images used for church in the New Testament by nature imply being fixed together or connected formally. Okay? So, a household of faith. Somebody read, uh, whoever it was, 1 Timothy 3.15? If I believe, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, which is the living God. So, that's the foundation of the church. I'm not being funny, but I know who lives in my house and who doesn't. I know who's part of my household and who's not. We have plenty of different people living with us at one point or another. We know the difference between visitors. Visitors come for a bit and then go for a while. But anybody who has stayed with us for more than a little while, we've had to have a talk and talk about the agreement of how we do this household thing and the relationship between us. What are the expectations? What does it mean? Okay. Somebody says, okay, I'm staying in your house. And we have to have that talk. Does that mean you're going to stay in our house every night or not? Are you going to eat food here? Are you going to do the vacuuming like Nathan did? Brilliant. Uh, you know, whatever it may be, yeah? But the nature of being a household means you've got some sort of spoken understanding about what you're about and how you relate to each other. Okay? Next one. Building. Somebody read Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. Yeah, and consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as I suppose one definition of a building is that you have multiple bricks stuck together. If you have them all stacked up by the side and say, there, the building has arisen, <laughs> it's not much of a building. The whole point of the illustration is there are components that are stuck together, consciously so, to establish something. Okay? So the building, the image of building implies being fixed together formally. Body, uh, Tommy, if you would please. The body is a unit, but was made up of many parts, and though all its parts are made before one body. Sorry, do you mind if I just stop you there? Just to, I think probably if you looked it up in the, is that the NIV or the, uh, New, is that New King James, is it? I was the NIV. In one of the versions, that word part is actually members. It's where we get the idea of membership from. The idea that you have, bo- you have members of your body, i.e. Uh, arms, elbows, knees, ankles, all part of one body, but you're connected very closely. Sorry, Tommy, could you go on? We are all baptized in one spirit, into one body, whether it's your... You are Greeks, slave or, or free. You were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of one or part of many. It is the, the, the foothold. It is the foot 
Do you mind if I ask you to just to jump to verse 27? Would that be alright? Yeah. Now, you are, you are all body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That'll do. Get it? We're connected. And it's quite a formal connection. Alright? You can't have the hands relating to the head without the elbow playing its part. Okay? Get that. Next one, family. Galatians 6, verse 10. Who's got that? Thanks, Alice. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to the family because they are Okay, so there's a particular focus, consciously, decision towards the family of believers. Now, who are they? You've got to figure out some way of defining who those are. Because he was right to a church in Galatia, did that mean that he got a particular responsibility to the family of believers in Macedonia? How do you know who your responsibility is to? Okay, let's flick over. So the images used for the church imply being fixed together in formal membership, decisions as to who's in, who's out, who's not, some sort of communication along the way. Next one, and I, I, do you know, rather than picking Bible verses that would have taken a long time to explain, the old covenant community, the way you got into the covenant community was by how. How did you become part of Old, Old Testament Israel? I'll give you a clue. Start with the blokes. Thank you. Okay. So you said you want to come and be part of the community of, of faith. Let's say if you were an outsider, if you were not by birth an Israelite, you could come and your entrance into the community of faith didn't often talk about relationship with God personally, it talked about it as a corporate thing was by a public act. Not that it was done publicly, but it was let known that you publicly had come and uh, joined the community. Admittedly, you waddled for a few days afterwards and that was public sign enough. But the idea there is of saying there is some sort of public attestation that you are part of the community. You see that? Okay. We can talk about that more another time. Right, okay. Next one. How do you do this without church membership, I'm not totally sure, okay? Uh, let's, let's look at some of these verses. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Who's got that? Yeah. Uh, obey your leaders and submit to the authority. They keep watch over you as a man who must give an account. Obey them so that they work will be enjoyed. Uh, for that will be of no advantage. Okay, now we're going to look at how we relate and how we're structured and how leaders work uh, in one of the future sessions. But it's enough to say that that verse gives me heebie-jeebies because it tells me that as a, an appointed and recognised leader amongst this community of God's people, I have to give an account for how well I've loved and cared for you. But the first bit says, obey and submit to your leaders. How do you know who they are? How do they know who you are? There's got to be some sort of mechanism for recognising that. Is it that, I, that you and me are to obey and submit to all Christian leaders, no matter where they are? So if you attend this church, but somebody in a church in Edinburgh gets on the phone and says, this is something that's really passionate to me, um, I'm passionate about, I think you need to do what I tell you. Does, is that what we're supposed to do? Hmm. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Who's going to read that for us? Uh, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are only you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard of love, because they are working living peace with each other. 
Okay, so there's a sense in which um, the Apostle Paul is saying that there are an established bunch of people who you know are over you in the Lord. Um, you need to know who they are and have let them know that, don't you? Yeah? Next one. 1 Timothy 5.17 Okay, so there's that idea of directing the church. So the church is a defined group who've got a definition, uh, sorry, uh, direction to travel on, and it says they're directing the, or ruling. It says elders who rule, I think, in the ESV. Uh, but here we've got this picture that we put ourselves under leaders who are going to be take a measure of responsibility for, for the well-being of our soul. Um, that, that requires some sort of definition. Who is it who appoints those leaders? Where does it come from? Answer, church membership is, is, is the way that we work that out. Next one. Uh, this one I don't want to spend too much time on because it can get a bit sticky and we're going to talk about this in future sessions. But we also find in the New Testament that the authority of the church is to call to account or, or, or the local church has, has a measure of authority to call individual believers to account for whether or not they're upholding their claim to be standing and living for Jesus. So could somebody read for us Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17? Who's got that one? Didn't I? Oh, sorry. Didn't I? My mistake. Uh, Would somebody like to bless me by reading that one? Matthew 18, 15 to 17. So the question here is, when you've got somebody who repeatedly is refusing to uh, walk in repentance and faith, and you've had a small group of people go and say, look, we live for Jesus, let's work, let's work this out and walk and follow Jesus. No, I want to do my way. And then go again, and then the elders go. And then finally, bring it to the church to say, look, how, how can we best love, care for, and if necessary, deal with this person who is in the name of Jesus, but walk in the opposite direction and, and not living in repentance and faith before him. Okay? But the big question is, is, who is the church? Is it just the people who roll up on a Sunday? Because plenty of those, even if you just take our church as an example, aren't even believers yet. Does it include three-year-olds who start to sit and sing? Does it include the visiting Islamic preacher who just wanted to test out what we believe? Who is the church? There was a very difficult situation where there was a gospel guy who was a, a pastor or vicar of a church in Nottingham. And he loved the Lord, and there was a good chunk of the church who were good, thorough, Bible-believing Christians, but there was a whole stack of, of people who'd been there for ages who didn't hold to the same truths, just wanted nice moral stories told to them, to sing some of the nice songs. So when he started preaching uh, the gospel to them, um, they didn't want to know anymore, and they tried to vote him out. He was, if you like, taken to the church. And so what they did very cunningly was, uh, because the church was defined by whoever rocked up, what they did was they got a hold of the electoral roll, sent out some bad news, uh, and managed to gather a whole stack of people who weren't even believers, never normally went to church, but were in the parish, so they were eligible, and they came to vote, and the dude got kicked out. See that? 
So you need to have a definition of who is the church and who isn't. Local church membership. People who've covenanted together. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 to 13. Okay, so what we've got in this situation is there's a dude who's um, he's sleeping with his mother-in-law and going, isn't the grace of Jesus great? I can sleep with my mother-in-law. This is awesome. And the church have gone to him and said, not totally sure, some of them. And then others of them have said, isn't Jesus great? Let's do whatever we want. This is cool. And so finally the Apostle Paul is going, I'm not being funny, but this dude isn't walking in repentance and faith. You've got to deal with him. And if he refuses to say it's okay to live like that and name the name of Jesus, then a point comes when you have to put him out of the church. Now as the Corinthians listened to that, they had in their mind who was in the church and who wasn't. It's very difficult to throw somebody out if you haven't formally agreed that they are in. You have to have some sort of definition of who is in and who's some sort of formal understanding of these are people who are part of the church. Do you see that? Now, what I ought to let you know is way back in the first century, the way that it worked was very simple, is that it was by virtue of who was baptised. So you were baptised and then added to a number of a local church. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if that's the way that we do that? And it should be, but we've got centuries of denominations and traditions where well, one of the reasons that infants are baptised as little ones, and they're told that that is their entrance into the church. So, if you're part of a, uh, come up through a, an Anglican tradition, um, part of the the uh, christening service is describing this is entering uh, beginning of your life of faith and entrance into the church. So, if you say the formal membership of an Anglican church starts when you're a little baby and baptised, okay. Whereas I think from the Bible, I'm much more convinced, and this is the way we do church here. Uh, is that the entrance point into a local church is when you understand the gospel and make a choice to live for Jesus yourself, get baptised, and then formally commit to be part of that local church. That also allows for the fact that some people may come from different churches where they were actually uh, where they were baptised there or have grown up there, and they can come here and say, no, I was over there, but I've geographically relocated. I can become a member here. I don't have to be rebaptized because you shouldn't have to be rebaptized. Right, one last one. Uh, we've sort of touched on this already. Leaders are called to shepherd a specific group. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. Who's got that one? Cool. Cool, that's great. Well, Anthony, have you got the ESV there? There's the verse in there that speaks about those in or under your charge. Could you just read that first? I think, was that NIV there, I think? It says about the flock, but it actually says those under your charge or in your charge. Have you found that verse? Yeah, so it's, um, it's um, verse 2. So, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you, not for shameful death, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Okay, just stop there, that's great, thank you. Joe, I'll give you some caffeine in a minute, mate. We'll pin them eyeballs open. Keep talking in a second, fella, all right? Okay, now, I know this may come as a total shock to you, but I am not God. Um, I know it's really possible to believe, and perhaps I've done a really good job of persuading you that I am omnipresent, uh, I am omniscient, knowing everything, uh, and I am omnipotent, absolutely all-powerful. I'm very relieved in that case when that verse says to you and me that as a pastor and a leader and a teacher, I have limits. I am only called to pastor and care for and love well those who are under my charge, those who are in the flock. Uh, My question to you, though, is does that mean everybody in speak? In equal measures, the same amount? Does it mean everybody in South Liverpool? Does it mean that I have a particular focus in a different... Does it mean anybody who wants me to? Say, so Steve, you're my pastor. You know, I've had people who I've barely seen at all, who've barely been to this church, and they've blessed me by saying, well, you're my pastor, aren't you? And I think, not really. Okay? What are we being told here? That the leaders were to have a specific group of people in mind who they were to, uh, to, to shepherd, to pastor, to lead, particular congregations, those under their charge. And if you think that I'm your pastor... You need a formal way to let me know. That's what local church membership is. To have expectations of me beyond that is a very, very difficult. You've got to let me know you want me to pastor you. And one of the ways we do that is through saying publicly, this is my church, and that means I'm under their charge. Do you see that? Right, so, have a little bit of time now, and, and Joe can um, plop it, do his eyeball thing. So, um, how would not having a formal church membership make each of these difficult? That's what you're going to have a go at talking about, okay? Or can you think of any ways to uphold all of these things without having a formal church membership? Because if you can think of a way of doing it, I'll jack it in now and say we're wasting our time here. But I can't think of a way, so perhaps you've got more... I've really set myself... Some of you are like sitting there going, right. <laughs> okay, have a little go round your tables... Uh, how would not having a formal membership make each of these difficult? Or can you think of any ways to uphold these things without having a church membership? Okay? Five minutes. Go for it. Thank you for digging in and chatting about that very enthusiastically. Uh, what, ca- what came out of it? Were there any big things there? Any key or any questions that came out? Anything you want me to deal with? We, we talked about uh, how character of the leaders is important. Mm. I mean, we've used the example of leaders, the fact that leaders have responsibility to lead uh, suggests that people need to, <coughs> need to identify with with the church and say, I want to be a leader. Yeah. But therefore, that makes the character of the leaders important in all of this. Yeah, so, so, just, so for the sake of the tape, this question about the... Um, the importance that the characters of the leaders are in keeping with what the Bible expects elders and leaders to be like. Yeah, I say that's a separate issue to what we're looking at, because what we're looking at here is, do we agree in principle that we should have leaders over us, because God says we should, and be part of a church membership? Then that, what that question alludes to, what Anthony's just brought up, is the question of, well, which church can I be belong to? Do not become a, 
do not become joined to and covenant yourself with and publicly declare yourself in with a church where you can't, where you don't believe the leaders there are acting biblically, have got a growing in repentance and faith, a humble man who are going to love you well. Okay, but I'd still say that, that that's that's one of the, the questions that we have to work through, isn't it? Uh, number one, do I agree that I need to put myself under godly leaders? If I do. Is this, is, this the, is this the church family that I think I can do it with? But I think the point still stands, you need church membership to do this. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Good, what else? I was just, I was just wondering about what, what actually, what's the functional difference between two, I'm not a member of the men. Yep. And by the end of the party, I'm not involved in church anyway. But what changes? Cool, okay. What is the, what's the functional difference? What's the cash value? Okay. Oh. So it's you, are you asking or answering it? illustration then I'll come to my illustration okay so what difference does it make it should have a cash value if it's what if it upholds all these things so let's try and work out through it. Um, I've not been a member of a band but my, my brother has done and I know that there was a covenant of membership it was not signed it was not pledged it wasn't done publicly but there was an understanding and a definition of how you relate so you will play this instrument, not that one. You will turn up to this practice and not that one. You will try to make your decisions together corporately by this manner. So this, whatever, there was an, you know, when you form a band, it's a natural thing, but at one point you say, uh, I'm forming a band. And the reason I know they've done that is because when my brother got kicked out of the band, <laughs> he knew he'd been kicked out of something that previously everybody corporately agreed he was in. Okay? So on one level, the, I don't want to detract from the... Um, uh, the natural elements of that, but all associations have a degree of understanding. So what's the actual cash value here? Uh, I think attending a church and belonging to Jesus, as opposed to uh, being a covenant member in a church, is a little bit like the difference between uh, living together with being married or without being married. Okay? And if we stop for a second to try and think, well, what is the experiential difference? On one level, nothing. On one level, everything. It's about the degree of confessed intent. You see that? It's about the degree of commitment that is expressed and the level of personal giving of yourself to something, which is what we're going to come to in just a minute. Okay? So some of that stuff will get fleshed out. So I don't think for a second anybody in this room would say um, there is no experiential difference whatsoever uh, in the quality of the relationship between people who get married um, or just live together and co or at least we know as believers there's something, something so much more. Some of it's tied up with the character of God and some of it's tied up with uh, how it makes humans to flourish and everything like that. There is something about the beauty of stated commitment, understanding, covenants, which we're going to do a whole session on, um, that I think, oh, it's great, it's beautiful. It points us to who the Lord is and what it's like. All right? These are really good questions. Do you mind if I move on to the next bit? Would that be all right? Or has anybody got anything really, really nagging there? Cool, thank you. Cool. Okay. So what happens when you become, uh, when you publicly say, I am 
going to become a part of this church family. I want to say that it's a bold public statement, or sorry, becoming a church membership is bold public statement you make as you become uh, a church member. Okay, I've just I could list more, but here are here are five straight off the bat. Okay, this is a massive statement to the Lord. You're saying I want to be like you. Because all the way through the Bible, the Lord says, I want to be joined to you, this is what this will look like, and this is what my attitude towards you will be, and I want you to be joined to me. Okay? So we got a bit of it from the end of Revelation chapter 21, didn't we? But it actually gets said all the way through Genesis, Exodus, all the way through the law, up through the prophets. I will be your God, and you will be my people, and this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to walk before me. We have other covenants in the Bible, like David and Jonathan, who pledge themselves to each other. And so when you, come, when you join a church membership, what you're doing is you're being godlike in saying, I'm going to define with you my level of our connectedness. I am going to move towards you uh, and publicly let it be known that I am proud that we are connected together. We're an item. That's why it matters to teenage girls, doesn't it? Are we, just, are, we, are we seeing each other or are we going out? It matters. It matters. Don't ask me why it matters. Right? So it's a, it's a declaration to the Lord. I'm trying to be like you are towards your people. Second of all, it's a declaration to the local church. It's I'm going to give myself to you. That's the reason why we love, and we'll, talk, we'll spend a whole session talking about this, we love going to weddings and watch what happens there. Because in weddings, what's the central bit of the ceremony? The vows. Okay? I'm so thankful that those vows aren't contracts. Because I would have been, you'd have all had your wedding presents back by now. Because a contract is something where these are what you will uphold, these are what you will uphold, and on the grounds of you holding up your bit and me holding up my bit, we have got a relationship. That's a contract. That's why with your mobile phone, when they overcharge you or the service goes bad, you ring them up and go, Oi, we've got a contract, you're supposed to do this, but I'll pay this, man, I'm paying, and you get the idea, that's a contract. That isn't a covenant or a vow. A covenant or a vow, well, you just listen to the wedding vows, don't you? For richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, for better, for worse, I will give you and pledge you my faithfulness. Do you see the difference there? One is saying, you do your bit, I'll do, uh, I'll do my bit, and that's how we'll relate together. One is, the other one is saying, I'm giving myself to you. And not, it's not going to be measured by the degree to which you keep your end of the bargain. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pledge myself under the Lord to love, care for, to give, to forgive this bunch of people as Christ has forgiven me. I'm not going to measure it, I'm not going to keep score, I'm going to give myself away. I'm going to give myself to them. Do you see that? That's what happens. It's a bold statement. I'm saying, I'm giving myself to you. You don't do that to a bowling club. You don't. Okay? It's a bold statement, not just to the Lord but, and to the local church you're joining, but it's a bold statement to my sin. You see, my sin loves to dwell in the dark. My, the nature of my sin is it is blinding and hides away and deceives me. The human heart is deceitful above all other things and desperately wicked. So when I join a local church, what I'm saying is I know my own heart so much that I'm prepared to receive God's means of grace of delivering me out from under my own heart. 
The Lord says, I need people who can see me as I really am, who will love me as I really am, in order that I may not cave into a life of sin and walk away. So when you say, I want to join this local church, what you're saying is, um, I know my heart well enough that I need people to join me in the battle in living for Christ. And which of us here thinks that we can get it done on our own? We know we can't. We're fools. He's the only wise God. And his appointed means is bringing us in tight relationships so that we can walk together and not be overcome by our sin. That's one of the things that, you know, if somebody's not a church member, there's a certain lone rangeness about them, which you think, you're, if you're a law unto yourself, that's where, that's where sin grows in that whole mindset of, I can do myself. That is sin. It's sin under God and it's sin amongst other people. The Lord says you are so stuffed up that you need my son to come and break the power of sin, uh, sorry, pay the penalty of sin and break the power of sin in your life. Don't be foolish enough to think that you don't need my provision, which is a committed relationship with, with my people around you to help you grow and, uh, and change. You see that? So when you may decide to become a church member, you're making a bold statement about that. To, excuse me, to the leaders. Uh, now we'll talk about how the leaders and the congregation relate when we do a, a, our session on that one. Uh, but what we have here in our church is a congregational um, mode of church government. What does that mean? It means that the members of the church recognise and appoint leaders within the church. They look for men who are gifted and able, who are living out not just the giftedness, but seeing to walk in repentance and faith, who are exemplifying that model of life. They recognise their gifting, they recognise that this is put here by the Lord, and what the members together do is that we say, we trust you, we're going to entrust you to lead us. We are going to give you permission that is clearly been given, uh, we're going to recognise and give you permission to lead us, because we can recognise that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to do that. And that's how our church family works. Okay? So you've got leaders who are accountable to the congregation. So if a point comes where there's a, somebody who was appointed and the church fellowship felt like they were the appropriate leader and they start walking and, you know, instead of reading from the Bible on a Sunday morning, they're reading the Koran, or instead of seeking to love their uh, family well, uh, they're beating their wife and kids, then there's means by which we can say, look, you're not going to lead us anymore because you're not walking in keeping with the faith. But whilst there are leaders in our church who have been appointed... Us members, we delegate to them responsibility. We trust them. Almost every decision they make is not so much as do you pick that individual decision that they make apart. What you do is say, do we trust these men to make decisions for us? Do you see that? So what happens when you join a, church, a local church is you say to leaders, you have my permission to lead me. To teach me God's word. Your authority, uh, you know, I, it's accepted that the only authority that leaders have is not to tell them to do anything. We're not into heavy shepherding. Our authority comes from the word of God. So if Anthony or Steve or Kosh or John say, look, I'd like to sit down with you and say, I can't help but think that this verse should mean something in your life at the moment. I'm worried that it's not. Then what you've said is, I've given you permission for you to do that with me and call me back. I have... I have I want you to sit as an authority over me. I want you to shepherd me and lead me. Do you see that? And that's what you're saying when you join the church, church membership. And as we've already said, hopefully that one came up a minute ago. If you don't feel that you are able to put yourself, and it's difficult, that's why there's a Bible verse in there that says, make sure you do it and make it a joy to those leaders because then it will go good for you. It's difficult, isn't it, when you're a rebellious sinner? 
But when you become a church member, you're boldly saying, I know that the Lord has put together this thing called the church so I can learn and grow, and I need to give permission to the leaders for them to spiritually care for me, even at times when I'm rebelling, kicking against it, uh, and being awkward. Okay? And lastly, I'll just be very quick with this one. It's a bold statement to the Lord, to the local church, to my sin, to the leaders, uh, to the culture. What it says here is Christ makes all the difference. My affiliation to this local church isn't just one of attendance, whereby I rock up up to the point uh, when it stops being convenient, or if it gets in the way of my hobby. No, this is a priority in my life because Jesus Christ is a priority in my life and what he says, he loves, I want to love well as well. So I'm going to say to this culture, I'm with those guys. I'm a member of that church. I'm joined with them on our trek and on our journey serving Christ as we wait for him to return. Now isn't it the Lord Jesus who says, um, uh, as you love one another, people know that you are my disciples. There's an outward push of us joining. It's an evangelistic strategy to become a member of the church, basically. Okay. So, um, we've got two questions there, just for you to have a little look at around your table. Do you know, I'm really encouraged because I've said, on each of these three sections, I, I should aim for 20 minutes and not go more than 25. And on all of them, I've been less than 20 minutes or less. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? No, no, you don't see, that's a miracle for me. Joe's like, that's pretty good for me. Okay, so you've got five minutes just to talk through some of those things. Then we can have some more questions, uh, and then we can pray. So have a little look through some of those. Uh, what resonates most with you at the moment? Uh, which do you think you find hardest to own personally? All right? Well, I, am re- I am recording again. So uh, any feedback from those last set of questions? Any questions about things as a whole? What stuff resonates and excites you about that? What stuff you think personally? I know that's probably right, but for me, I need to go to the Lord and ask for help and grace. I need to be accountable, that kind of thing. Yeah, what did you come up with? That identify with one of these. Joe, it was just an opening question to get you thinking about which one excites you the most. Which one? Yeah, which one you sort of... Okay, which one you think, oh, that's really cool, that, that's, I can sit, uh, that's a real, but that's something I really like. But I think, you know the ones that, the, to the local church I'm giving myself to? Yeah. So initially, I, I don't know, out of all of them, I felt that quite a time ago. Then when you explain it, it sounds like I have facial actually. Then that helps me. Sounds more for that, actually. Cool. And you're very welcome to move in with us. Okay? Good. <laughs> We'll define it, but not publicly. Uh, cool. Anybody else? Thank you for that, Emma. I appreciate that. I think, uh, I mean, we were just talking about how each of these things are session we look at specifically will be all about how we do relationships together. Okay? So if you're coming here to expecting purely systematic stuff about 
how we organize ourselves or what the content of meetings is. That's not what this is about. This is about living relationships, how we as a body grow in Christ together, encourage one another, uh, live repentance and faith, which is really difficult. It's much more demanding than being part of a bowling club. But it's, it's actually what the Lord has called us to as part of his people. Um, and then we get the joys that that brings with it. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Anything else? Any other questions or comments? this is, is it's, it's helping you saying that because we've got a statement here of not what we it's the statement of the direction of travel isn't it, it's saying that we see these precious things that are principles or commands in the New Testament, we say let's figure out a way that we're going to do this together as a local church and under the elders that's what we do uh, if you can come up with better ways of holding some of this stuff without us having church membership, I'd love to know how it is um, but then, or maybe if you're doing that, perhaps you're just being somebody who just doesn't like the idea of having to fit into the mould of other people the fact is that when it comes to doing our church, we have to make decisions um, that we're free to make with regards to this local area. So number one, we decide that we're going to have services that are in English rather than in Swahili. That's a decision that we make and the Lord's given us the liberty to do. We decide that we're going to meet at 10.45 rather than 2.15. Uh, you won't find a, a, a Bible verse on that anywhere, um, but it's, it's wisely decided. This is the, this, we'll try and do this for, the, for love and good reasons, but we make choices to do that. Uh, we decide this is the way we're going to try to facilitate the caring for and teaching for kids corporately. This is the way in which we're going to set the priorities and the spending priorities for the church, all those kind of things. But what we do is we try to do that together, um, loving Christ under uh, influence by other people. So what am I trying to say? Uh, cut to the chase. The thing I'm trying to say here is if you... If you want to find reasons not to be a member, you'll find them. But my suspicion is they won't be very good. They'll probably be motivated either by fear or by selfishness. Okay? I think the, the New Testament here says very strongly, publicly agree and commit the way that the local group have done, providing it's not unbiblical and saying you've got to go and hack off a limb before you get in and get in, or it's not, we're not like the Crips, you know, a, a gang like that. Providing that it's trying to uphold biblical principles, commit publicly to the local um, congregation in the way that they have worked out is the best way for them to uphold the principles of the Bible. Okay? Does that make sense? Cool. Well, you lot have been really, really patient with me. I do actually, I'm prouder of myself than I am of you because I've not gone off on one on any of these. I've kept 20 minutes a slot, which is remarkable for me. Uh, and that alone, that alone, don't worry, I've got another six hours worth to bring to you next time, so don't panic. Uh, that alone is worthy of praise and thanks to the Lord. Uh, so why don't we just spend the next five minutes, as many of us as possible, uh, pick an element, something that has, has sparked your imagination or prompted you to say, Lord, I'm not falling short of this, or praise you for your grace that you've stuck with me even when I've been awkward, or whatever it may be, as many of us as possible, loudly as we can, so we can all say amen, 
uh, chuck up a prayer in the direction of the Lord um, because these things, as Job says, are incredibly exciting. They're really cool. Job starts off with you. Lord, uh, thank you for your